All right, this week on the Artist of Motion podcast, we are featuring Grandmaster Carl Shalio of the International Karate Connection Association. This is the first time I got to sit down with Grandmaster Shalio and have some historical Kempo discussions and hear some of the stories from where he's taught in the past and where he's at today. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Here we go with Grandmaster Shalio. All right, today on the Artist of Motion podcast. This gentleman started Kempo in late 1963 at the legendary Crenshaw School under Chuck Sullivan and Ed Parker. He earned his first degree black belt, which was signed by both Mr. Parker and Mr. Sullivan in 1968, and he's been active training and teaching ever since. Today, he's a 10th degree black belt and successor in interest of the International Karate Connection Association. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Grandmaster Carl Shalio. Welcome to the show today, sir. How are you? Oh, thank you, Steve. Uh, doing really well. All right. Well, we are we are privileged to have you here. Uh, my first segment of every show is basically it's your opportunity to give us your curriculum vitae, uh, your background. So I already gave them where you started. So how did you get started in 1963, and how is that taking you up till today? Well, in 1963, I was in uh, my parents and I were all living in Los Angeles, California, and. I wound up going to the same school that uh, my father had gone to, which used to be in a bean till, but it turned around. And uh, by the time I got there, it was surrounded by homes. And uh, I had to walk to school every day. So in that walk, uh, my dad and I talked about it, that he said, well, it might be good to learn how to, you know, fight and or do something to defend yourself. So I said, hey, that's great, Dad. Now, what am I going to do? And he says, well, let's try and look and find something. So I had, saw a, uh, a demonstration, uh, and it was a, uh, a demonst- uh, it was actually a karate demonstration, and I had no idea what style it was, but it looked like it was something that I would like to do. So I took that name home and started thumbing through what I don't think anybody understands today is a phone book. And, yeah, I remember uh, those. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. You know, they're heavy pieces of paper right now. And, uh, and they used to put all the, everything in, went in the phone book because that was the way everybody advertised back then. And I found this one little thing that said karate. It didn't say anything else other than that. And it just had a, a number you called and, uh, an address. And it was way up on uh, Crenshaw Boulevard from where we lived because we lived over on, uh, Imperial and Western. And so it was a little drive. And uh, so my dad took me up there because I didn't have a permit back then to drive. And we sat there and watched a couple of classes. And uh, he said, asked me if that's what I wanted to do. And I said, yes, sir, that is what I would like to do. And so that's where it all got started. Well, later, uh, back in those days, you could get a learner's permit when you were 15 and a half. So by the time I did get one, my dad had already let me drive up and back. Uh, and I start. I signed up, and so we went through the basic classes with uh, Ed and uh, Chuck, and uh, and Chuck taught all the basics. I mean, like he did with everybody that went through that school. It was just absolutely incredible. But we learned our basics. I mean, really learned them. And even to this day, I know Chuck says basics are the key. But he is absolutely right because we learned how to block, kick punch and that's what we did time after time night after night till everybody in that class got it right and it was very uh very interesting the training was 
absolutely incredible because we've done, I'm sure everybody's heard the stories by now of all the old kinds of the old things everybody used to do back then. But the old Crenshaw School, as I remember, on one side was a dance studio, and then on the other side was a, uh, a, a hair salon for, for ladies and stuff. And back then, in those days, they didn't have nice cases and stuff, but they put all of their products along the wall. And uh, it got to the point where we would bang into the walls in Crenshaw because it wasn't too wide and there was no mats. It was just uh, uh, the old tile floor and it had the uh, rice or straw mat that was down. No, they weren't. No, this was before tatami. This was like the hard floor. This is where, (laughs) you know, know, you've heard about the the canvas getting stretched and watered down. Well, this was kind of... And that's, this is what that was, because we all had our little Coke bottle, and we'd get out there and water the thing down so we wouldn't slip on those mats. I mean, on the, uh, on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the paint canvas that was down on the floor. And, but we usually did wind up slipping every now and then, and when we go back and forth. We'd have two lines, and then we, everybody would go back and forth. But along that, in that, uh, we'd wind up, banging into the wall and we'd hit that wall hard so hard sometimes you could hear stuff fall off of their shelves next door and break that was back you know when everything was made in uh, for the most part in glass glasses and containers and that was kind of interesting uh, i do remember one time they came over and asked chuck not to bang into the walls but that just helped us and inspired us to do it a little bit more each night so that was kind of an interesting proposition, but we finally cooled that off and uh, just went to training. But the training was was really really good, and that was back with uh, Steve Mohammed and uh, back then with um, and uh, Chuck Boyd and Stacey Cassia, and all of us came up and Crazy George and Vic, and uh, we all came up through that school and it was just absolutely incredible. What we did learn was what we did mainly was we did, we learned to fight freestyle. We learned a lot of techniques that were available to us then. And uh, we just got to the point where uh, you would, you would actually sometimes get out there and you go a little rough, but you knew if you got, if you tag somebody that sooner or later, somebody come back and they tag you not maliciously, but, you knew it was in the, it was coming. And, uh, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was a give and take. And we all understood that there wasn't any problem with anybody with that. Uh, so, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was really great training and we spent a lot of time. And even to this day, uh, I'm glad we did because occasionally, you know, the older you get, the more you hope you don't fall, but you do occasionally. Uh, even on the mats now, once in a while, but is learning how to fall and how to fight on the ground and get up from where you are on that ground. And we did that so much that uh, I, even to this day, I haven't forgot how to do that. It's a little harder on the body nowadays, but uh, other than that, it, it has saved me a couple of times from some serious, uh, I'm sure would have been injured if I had not learned that back then. So, uh, and it was it was it was just great. And then we finally got the tatami mats, and those were like uh, 
for us is like walking on air after being on the canvas floor. So uh, it made we kind of marveled at that. And uh, so a lot of a lot of things happened in that Crenshaw school where we would get uh, uh, <laughs> we I know you've all heard the stories again about pulling the furniture out, setting it up, and you know uh, Chuck would designate a an attacker or two. And uh, you'd go at it, and you, you know we had stuff that, like water and cups, and you know we get tossed over in the chairs. Uh, you'd be seeing guys jump over the coffee table, had some guy sitting on the couch, things like that. It was really kind of a, a unique training environment. Also, back in the uh, and then uh, there was the nights occasionally when he would have a somewhat of a free for all and turn the lights out and had everybody, and you could hear everybody going, oh, you know. While you're while you're while you're fighting out there, and all of a sudden the lights would flip on, you know, and somebody you know would be last would be the last one standing, and that was kind of a, a treat. Uh, so, but the thing I noticed that uh, was good about that is nobody minded being tagged once in a while, and the the closeness and the way you did techniques back then, your control was good, and your actually, uh, I think, closer <clears throat> control to, than today, that's for sure. So it made a big difference in the way we, we did train. And it's kind of stuck with all of us old guys for forever. So after <clears throat> after the Chuck closed the, uh, the school, we went down to uh, what I call the Bingo School, but it was one that was on La Brea. It was in, and... Uh, was down there, and uh, I guess I was in somewhere in uh, late '68, early '70, till '72. And there we had the tatami mats down, and it was a little bit bigger place, which made it kind of nice. And everybody still trained down there, and we had a, a great time. And uh, and then uh, after that, I moved on to uh, Santa Monica when it closed the uh, the Brea place in. Uh, 72 right around then and talked for a little bit until I graduated out of college. And, uh, so that was, that was also fun down there at Santa Monica, especially that was different for us because this is when, um, Parker has started getting the, uh, uh, the short, <clears throat> the short version of, uh, uh, do I call it the BK one, ZY type stuff where we were teaching half hour private lessons and but the basics and everything was all uh, coded like that, which gave us a little bit of fist because we had to slow down because we didn't know what it was because they didn't have that in the old days. So that made it kind of uh, an interesting challenge for all of us, but we survived that and went through it. And then everybody uh, kind of moved on after that. And, uh, and I moved on. And then places that uh, I had gone uh, where my job took me, uh, I've always been able to teach uh, people in one or two or five or six or down in Arizona where I was there for a, a while. And I had a school with uh, about, it's called Rolling Dragon, uh, Chinese Kempo. And uh, those guys are still together, half of them, even today. So uh, it's been... Uh, and then now I'm out here in Texas, and I teach 
he taught him like a garage, have a dojo, and it's all set up. And I, I teach whoever wants to learn. And that's how I keep going now with, with what we're doing as well as, uh, uh, traveling with Chuck on his, uh, quest and what he wants to do with, uh, travel and seminars. And so that's what we, all the old guys are kind of doing with him now. So that's my story for that. Right on. So <clears throat> you had actually taught for several different schools back in the early days, right? There was, uh, if I remember, if I got on my listing correctly, that was Crenshaw, Inglewood, uh, and not Santa Monica, but there was another one, right? No, it was, well, it was Crenshaw, Inglewood, and Santa Monica. Oh, what Santa Monica? And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but in that, in that spanned from the you know, late 60s into the 70s, and that's when the, there was a whole lot of uh, different curriculum enhancements going on in the Parker lineage, and uh, there had a whole lot of different uh, theories and approaches that came out all at the same time. So that, that, that was like a boom time back in the days. What do you? Yeah, think? it was because well, because when we started, there were not very many of them had names. Uh, we get out there on the mat and. They say, "Oh well, let's uh, let's do this one. You all know this one." And we would look at each other, and then they, whoever was teaching the class, we'd start doing it. We go, "Oh yeah, we know that one." Well, it was uh, it was just the way that just the way that uh, things were going back then. And then it got you know structured, and uh, Sparker added more and more. So. So when you were uh, teaching uh, prior to being really uh, super active with the IKCA, uh, which lineage or which set of material were you teaching? I was teaching what I learned, IKKA, uh, because the techniques suited me. I mean, because I, I, I like to move with those, with those techniques. And the way the IKCA has gone now, they, those techniques are still the ones I like to move with. So uh, basically when... You know, and it's gone to a lot, a lot less, even than what we had had uh, in the back in the day too. So uh, those were uh, you pick what you want to do with the techniques. You need to learn all the basics and learn them really well. Learn the techniques. Uh, what I have found over the years is those techniques are are just tools for you to use. Uh, if you ever need to use them, you actually put those tools, you take those tools with you in your tool bag, you set it down when something starts. You may start with a technique, but you won't finish the technique that you learned typically. And you'll pull a tool to fit that situation, the timing and everything, how your body will react and what's happening in a confrontation. So those tools are the guide. Uh, I've had instances where somebody would say, well, what did you, uh, what did you do? And I'd look at him and say, I really don't know, <laughs> you know, because you just hold that tool and used it, put it away and went to the next one. So, uh, that's what, that's what the techniques and repetition teaches you. It teaches you spontaneity to act in a certain situation so that you can defend yourself. Okay, so having been through, uh, I don't know, 
two or three different versions of the Parker curriculum then, right? And then the IKCA on top of that. So what do you think has been the advantages slash disadvantages of having to learn each of those different, you know, disparate curriculum sets? Uh, from a curriculum sense, I think what we have is that it, it is still Kimball. And all of the moves are still the moves. Every principal concept and move that I knew in the old days is here in the IKCA. I mean, it is, it is all here. So I haven't found anything that, that wasn't. So, you know, as far as learning them, of course, it's a learning process to go back through and how the system, the, uh, say the IKCA is, was put together and what, how the, the techniques are structured and, and, uh, and the names are a little bit different, but basically, you know, it all fit together really well. So the learning curve for coming across is not bad, and it, it was not bad at all. It did take some time, though, you know, to get them stuck in your head, but uh, but most of the time you sit there and say, I know that move. Oh, yeah, I got, I've got that move. Oh, that came, you know, from here and there. So, you know, it, it, uh, it blended really, really well. So we haven't lost any of the... Uh, the, the the move the Parker moves and from the old days or from the IKKA it's all right there and being refined down into that 55 techniques did make it a lot easier to remember everything also to practice it and because I've got books and I'm sure everybody does in the infamous red book uh, go back and, and try and go through that and read all of that if you've forgotten the technique and um, it becomes a challenge sometimes but uh, for the most part now I'm you know I'm strictly IKCA and uh, and I, I use the use these techniques and I'm very very comfortable with them I think anybody that would like to will find that they can be comfortable with them so you know that that in, that is the it wasn't a problem it was just you had to relearn what was here uh, as far as um, the order and what the techniques are. I think that's fair. So um, I know your son has done extensive training in some other martial arts as well. Um, so my question was on that one. How much exposure to other arts have you found throughout your journey? Not much. Uh, for me personally, uh, because I was I moved around a lot, and what I did was I, I taught what I know. And occasionally I would get together with some guys. Uh, well, you know, it's one guy was out, I was teaching him, and he became, uh, he, he was working with me with the, with the Kimpo, but when I moved, he was sitting in this one particular town, and actually he and his wife became black belts in Taekwondo back in the day. So that was, that was interestingly good. So, you know, you have to say, well, it did help some, but... Uh, what we're doing right now with my son, he's, he is uh, a black belt in the keto, and what we've done is actually introduced, in, at least for us here, is introduce some of the joint locks. Uh, if somebody ever decides to leave their hand hanging out in the breeze or you haven't gotten them with the first punch, because obviously you need to uh, stun them, and then perhaps you could be able to lock them up, but uh, I don't. I don't know. recommend that. I recommend the Kimpo first, then, then what you have later. So, 
but it's nice. It works well because there are some basic um, grab. Some of the grabs and some of the things that we do with the with the Kimpo is pretty. I, I would look at it like basic uh, type of keto uh, moves, but not concentrated like you would actually when you're when you actually are learning the keto. And uh, I stick with just the stuff that I can do standing up with the joint locks. So, um, and it works if you can get a hold again, if you can get a hold of somebody. Yeah, so. I, I was, uh, I'm going to n- neglect to mention who said it. Um, but I was told by somebody that, you know, especially back in the day, the rule was you don't let Carl get a hold of you ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. Now, now why would like, somebody want to say that? I'm just, I'm curious. Well, because I like doing takedowns. And uh, once I got you with that, I would do a takedown. Once I got up close to you, that's that's where I went. So I wanted you on the ground. So, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, the only guy, I don't see. But, I mean, you know, we, we, we had a good time doing that. Uh I, would, I do remember a time when I did actually get a hold of Chuck once. Oh, you got to tell us a story. Once I got a hold of him. <laughs> that seems to be everybody's story, too. I got him one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 no, we were, oh gosh, I forget what school, I think. I think we were over in Crenshaw. But, uh, yeah, I actually, he got close enough to me, and, and I was going backwards, and, uh, kind of got tripped up but he was close enough where i grabbed him and i actually as i rolled on my back i flipped him over me and he landed upside down on the wall and slid down and you know back then we were all agile we'd get up real quick and we got back up you know because I, I watched him and I, I it was almost like slow motion and uh, when he slid down the wall <laughs> and and uh what I, we, we got up you know we're, we got back into our stances and we're sitting there and he looked at me and he just started pointing that finger at me <clears throat> And anybody that knows Chuck knows how he points that thing. And he looked at me and he said, Shalio, that is the last time you'll ever touch me. <laughs> I went, oh, shit. And it was. Because then he proceeded to just pick me apart. Because Chuck back in the day was so fast and so accurate. It was absolutely unbelievable. So, and even to this day, we've remember, remained true friends uh you know he's almost you know he's, he's just unbelievable and that's been over 50 53 years now so same thing with uh stacy and Takashi and uh, and chuck boy it's it's amazing the friendship that you build out of out of the art so totally my, my best friends in the world are the ones that i met in martial arts with the exception of the two people okay. that i grew up with you know from my old neighborhood, it's a different ball game. But everybody else who's really, really close to me right now is you know, all martial arts buddies. Just cool stuff. Oh yeah, but uh, it was <laughs> it, it was just so much fun uh, learning. You know, but we worked hard. We worked, you know, seriously hard. So what other uh, what other stories do you have that you can tell us about some of those old days in training? Oh, I see. I already mentioned. Some of the stuff uh, all in uh, in Crenshaw. Well, occasionally you get out there against if you let your uh, elbow drift. I think they would they people wouldn't like you doing this today. But uh, if you let your <laughs> let 
elbow dripped out when you were throwing a punch uh, going into the forward bow and not dragging the elbow along your uh, your rib cage as it came out and keeping you know a good nice straight line with that with that punch. Uh, Chuck would get us up against a uh, brick wall. And he'd say, here, stand about six inches away from it and just throw those punches as hard as you can. And we'd do that. And you learn to keep it in tight because if you didn't, you're scratching your, the heck out of your arm while sliding on that brick when it mm-hmm. comes out on that wall. So we used to do that kind of stuff. Uh, we used to stand to the point where we, we would balk and punch and I would go home bruised from my wrists to my elbows and from my shins and from my knees to my ankles with some serious bruises on them. Because when we lined up and we started throwing punches, it was just simple step through stuff. But everybody was coming hard. They were coming fast. And they were aiming at your nose. It wasn't any of this, I would just move off to the side of your head. It was serious, and everybody had that aim point, and it was your nose. And if you didn't block it or you missed the block, you got hit. Uh, every now and then, you'd hear a guy go, oh, and you knew what happened. You <laughs> knew they missed the block, didn't throw it hard enough. And, you know, it happened a lot with uh, Crazy George, so he was fun to play with like that. Uh, I, he and I, you know, kind of like to, to beat up each other, so. That was that was kind of fun. Uh, same thing with the kicks. You do you do a we were just doing downward downward blocks, but you would be close enough to when you did kick, you you kick them in the groin if you if they did not block it. So you had to pay attention. You couldn't let your mind drift while they were running while the drill was being ran like that. Um, so you know, and then there was, there was the old the old stuff where you know everybody's geese would, would get tore off. You know, you take somebody down and they grab your your gi and they rip it off just below where your belt was tied on some of the old the old cheapy gis, and uh, so, and we all wore white gis, old white tacados. So that was that was a while a while ago. I still got mine actually. So it's a little yellow these days, but I'm still hanging in the closet. Do, does it still have both sleeves on it? Yeah, but it doesn't have a bottom. <laughs> and uh, the shoulder came apart, you know, where people would, or where the guys would, they grab you when they were doing a takedown, and they'd really, you'd really grab. And uh, it wasn't one of these, I'm just going to touch you, and you go with it. You had to actually move the person and take them down. Otherwise, they'd stand there and look at you like, you know, what are you doing? So you, you got the idea, you got the point really quick to uh, do the techniques correctly. And actually doing like it meant something. Like you're so, actually going to use them? Oh, yeah, because, you know, you know and I, I, yeah, I know. I still go under the, the adage, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you're going to train like you fight. In the end, that is what's going to happen. So I think everybody that, that, that trains really hard needs to, you know, continue that and not let their students get away without doing that. And it's important, I think, to emphasize that. You mean it matters? Yeah, slightly. You can't just air tempo your way through everything? <laughs> nope, nope. I call it, uh, was it? Oh, I call it soft tempo when they do that. And 
because it just looks soft to me. So what does a typical training session look like that you're running today versus how you used to teach it back in the 60s or 70s? Well, it depends on who it's with. You know, if you're training, training, you know, some people, they're not going to, they're not going to survive. Uh, I run it hard though. I mean, I throw punches at, uh, at the kids and, you know, they're, you know, some of these guys are like 17, 18 and I'll, I'll throw punches at them to where I tell them, I says, I want you to block hard. I want you to spasm my arm, you know, when I'm doing that. But I'm all padded up these days because I bruise like crazy. So, uh, but I, but I get them to actually get to where they can block that kind of punch. And the same thing when they freestyle, I, I tell them, I says, Hey, if you're going to, don't just stop because somebody tags you once, because that's not the way it's going to happen. You have to learn to keep going. And so it's, it's a little bit rough, but it, I don't, when I look back on it, uh, it, well, except for the, you know, I got probably back up the guys down in Arizona were like that. They were tough, but these guys were ATF border patrol, uh, you know, um, EMT guys. And they, they were pretty tough characters. So, uh, and that's what they wanted. They wanted it hard. And I said, okay, so we did that. And, uh, so you'll find that even those guys that are still down there training are, are hard. They are hard because they they hit hard, they block hard. So I, that's the way I train them. Uh, so, but I, but these days when we're we're doing that, I I do pad up at least on the arms. You know, back then we didn't have any pads. We didn't have well, we had a cup, but they were. That was about it, you know, those shoes, you know, so it was a different, it was a different era. And uh, sometimes, you know, you walk away from that and you go, Hey, that was great. And we did it. But maybe you sit there and look at it 50 plus years now. And like Chuck mentioned things, some things don't work the way they used to <laughs> just because of that. So, but that, that being what it is, the, it was to me. It was worth it. I mean, if you don't uh, put the time in to get your basics right, and that means you have the ability to actually block something, I mean, most of those 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 lovely laid out plans we call technique go out the window as soon as you miss that first block. So, yeah, <laughs> I think it's worth it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to miss that first one. That's for sure. You know? But you know, it's like it's like it's like that old saying: is timing is everything. You know, uh, I don't see a lot of people these days actually doing the, I'm going to, all the, all the fancy names and all that stuff are really, you know, really good, but I'm just going to call it settling because being able to settle your body weight, uh, and add power to what you're doing through your form and keeping, and keeping your style and your basics and your moves, you know, take that extra little step drag in with a shot, you know, mm-hmm. and move your mass with you. And, you know, it does make things, it does make everything a lot different. So, and you remember, you always want to get to your targets. So that's what you, that's what you practice for. You know, and when people, and it's, it's good because some people won't stand there like the classical, 
you know, like we do, just to, to offer yourself so you, somebody can work a technique. You know, you get that occasional person or student that'll that'll do something and you'll get into a funny way and a funny position and you have to really adjust. And that's where I say, that's where you start using your toolkit now. So, and, uh, but each time, you know, the, of course the object is, is to put that guy on the ground, your opponent, if there ever is one. So, so what, at what point uh, in somebody's training do you start teaching them the takedowns? Well, they usually get it within a, uh, what I what I do first is I get them down. I'll, I'll get them right around uh, somewhere in purple belt, uh, and we'll start just by learning gently how to fall. And uh, once they get that down, so they can slap their hand out, don't land on their elbows and things like that. Then I will start saying, okay. Now we'll we'll start doing some things that will take you down, and you know you you, sh- you show them some simple stuff, and uh, have them have them work on that. And you start easy, and then you get to the point where when they take each other down, they you, they go down harder. Make sure that they fall right, and you know because that's important. Safety is important, mm-hmm. and it's you know to get them and to get them so they fall right every time because you know as well as I do that. Occasionally, you just slip, and you're going to go down. Well, it's nice to be able to know what to do while you're going down so you don't land on that elbow or, you know, break your wrist type thing, you know, when you're falling. Because most people put their hand down when you start when you start falling. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, you just have to, you have to train it. You have to train to do that. But that kind of, that part of it, once you get that, you know, we'll, I don't think it's going to leave you. You will remember, especially when it's, when you're falling on something hard, like the cement, uh, or even on the mats these days, you know, Pete. So. Yeah. I haven't, uh, had, I haven't had cause to fall outside of a dojo since, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I was probably 18 or 19. The last time I fell someplace other than a dojo, but, uh, I did trip over a curb one time when I was carrying packages out and, um, I, Apparently did a complete forward roll, didn't lose the packages, stood back up, put my packages back on my motorcycle, put my helmet on, and rode home. When I got home, I had two missed calls from my buddy, who apparently was in the parking lot, saw the whole thing, and was trying to call me to ask what the heck just happened. <laughs> right. Like, I have no I idea. Had, so. Yeah, that triggered my memory. I had something like that on... Uh, on a rainy curb, I slipped one time when I went down and got back up, you know, really, you know, how we, how we train. And, uh, the guy looked at me that was standing next to me and says, where'd you go? I, said, <laughs> I fell. He says, well, you know, and I said, well, but it, you know, it, it saved me. And, you know, I just had to brush myself off a little. So, but, uh, it, it's worth it. It's worth learning how to fall. And I think, you know, there's so much stuff out there now. You know, doing a ground game, I think, is important. Uh, to where at least you know what it is in case you, and more so that so you can defend against it. Because uh, what would you really do? Uh, most people, uh, when somebody grabs you, you, people have a tendency to grab them back uh, for whatever Isn't reason. Weird? I think everybody, yeah, it, I think everybody does that, though. You grab me with two hands, I'm going to grab you, you with two hands. 
Why? I don't know. Yeah, those are called Yard gifts. They're called what? Gifts. I know I know where your weapons are at now. You just gave right, me a gift. But, uh, so, you know, I really think you need to, you know, to practice a little bit of that so you know what you're doing. Because I was talking to one of our guys that has done a lot of groundwork, and uh, he just says, well, you old guys, you probably just hit people, you know, and uh, on the way down. And I went, yeah, probably, because that's the only thing we know. And so, you know, but we are going to hit you. So, because uh, I won't grapple with anybody. I, I think a lot of old guys don't want to grapple. So, again, we go back and I fall on the simple method. And uh, I, I know it's not, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like to use it, but it's like uh, Chuck says, and, you know, if they can't see you, they can't hit you. And that started years ago. I remember him saying that. So, and it's even true to this day. So, and you gotta gotta remember what your targets are and what you want to do to somebody. So, and you have to be careful what you're gonna do. You don't want to overdo it either. That's actually but, a really important concept. So, uh, how do you have that kind of discussion on you know where do you draw the line and all that fun stuff? Well. What I do is I look at it, and when, when you start moving, because Kipple moves awfully quick, and if you're if you're doing it right, and you're timing with those shots, you take what uh, I would call a, a timing break, or you know, uh, uh, when you when you're actually checking, you can actually take a a, a, a damage assessment there and and, and just observe what you're doing uh, when you're getting ready to set for the next blow. And if the guys, if the guy, you know, if they're gone, if they're down, let them go. Uh, but then you never know, you know, what's enough. But you do want to, you take, you take that. I take, I I call it an assessment, a damage assessment. And so I know that uh, should I continue or not? And that's where you have to make a personal decision. It's there's you know there's nothing in the guidebook that says this is when you stop because mm-hmm. everybody everybody is different you know <clears throat> it's the impact force to knock somebody down ten pounds for one guy but it may be a hundred pounds for the next guy so you don't know what that is so you have to be the judge after the um, starting with the second strike. Because I don't know how hard it is, you know, you don't know how much pressure you need to use, how much force. You start with the maximum and go, you know, you can back off of that. Because you want to stop anything threatening your life. You know, know, if you have the chance to do it with, uh, you know, with just the the weapons that you have available to you, the Kimbo, or any martial art. I think that's fair. You know, you have to assume since somebody has already you know made the overt attack on you in the first place that they need to be responded to with your your best shot first and then evaluate immediately right that's right seem i mean it seems like a fair equation so um how much so uh, let's talk about like a, a traditional uh class that you're teaching in just as your everyday students type thing um, how do you break up that class? Like, what what do you do first? What do you do second? What do you do third? How long how long does that class run? That type thing. 
Well, usually it depends. The, the students are starting that you're teaching basics to, I like to keep them, in, you know, basic in a basic class where their attention is just on the basics, not on the a technique that's being taught that'll just confuse them. So once they get the, the, the base of blocks, kicks, punches, uh, step through, crossover, uh, and the basic kicks, uh, that's when I'll move them up to start actually teaching the, the um, techniques. But uh, typically, I keep I keep those 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 separate because you've got so many. Uh, I, I honestly believe that, and I'm kind of like Chuck in that matter. I'd rather teach my students the basics to start with because then they know what it's going to be, and I don't have to go back and all of a sudden find out that, you know, if you're not doing the basics right, you're never going to be able to do the techniques correct. So, uh, you know, that makes a, a big difference. And typically, once you fold the, the beginners you, you into the intermediate, you're going to have another, another class. So typically that class for the basics, I start with um, no more than an hour for the basics. The intermediates, we can go like an hour and a half and then any of the advanced we can usually anybody that's advanced you can run two hours so and it depends on the mix in the class whether you separate the classes out or or uh, pretty soon when they all come up to speed you just combine everybody and uh, where the and then the, and the same thing goes like for freestyling i like to start them freestyling a little bit early maybe just with one or two moves so they get used to moving with the basics that they now have and uh, and it's pretty well controlled with that to where it's you know you're you're looking for targets and so you start doing that and then you slowly start picking it up and finally when you get to where you've got your advanced students you say okay you know five six seven eight blows don't just do one or two and three and stop because that's what everybody expects that when you think about it you know if you go one two three and everybody stops or one, two, three, four, everybody stops. I says, no, you got to get five, six, seven, eight, nine going. And you, you must be, you know, moving. You can't just go three or four and stop. So that gets everybody used to actually moving. So, Fair and enough. basically that's what it, more than, more than two hours is, uh, is waste, I think, because uh, you, you run out of gas. Yeah. So yeah. of that uh, two hours, though, how like how long do you spend on basics? How long do you spend on, uh, you know, techniques? How long do you spend on freestyle, et cetera, et cetera? Well, freestyle is not every night or every day or every time everybody shows up. But uh, basics always start with the basics, and basically what we do is we'll warm up with. Uh, probably, I don't do I don't do any of the jumping jacks and that jump uh, because it it's a waste of their time. I'd rather have them learning. So I'll spend, uh, let's say with an intermediate class, maybe 10, 15 minutes uh, just on basics, but it's purely as a warm up. And what do I use? Well, I'll use, I'll use the uh, orange belt, well, I mean the yellow belt. Uh, I'm sorry, the orange belt uh, test for the for the warm up, and but it's all it's all movement. It's all movement. It's not. Uh, there's no uh, 
anything. There's nothing else in there. And you can actually, after you get used to it, it becomes a pretty good warm-up session. And then nobody even knows that they're actually doing that repetitively all the time because it's just you just warm it up. And then I'll spend probably, uh, it depends. Sometimes, it, you know, a technique sometimes can take very, uh, you know, quite a while to do. And uh, if I'm just teaching a, a technique, it might it might take the rest of that that night and maybe some other other nights uh, more time depending on the, you know how how well they learn it or how well they adapt to it so uh, and then and then freestyle for the advanced guys will go uh, you know three minutes it's, it's kind of interesting to watch because out here we die in the heat really quick <laughs> so but a three a three minute round is like spending 20 minutes out there freestyle I kid you not it is a little bit humid out here too so and I'm sure those everybody that lives in humid country knows just exactly what I'm talking about because my garage is not air conditioned. <laughs> Actually, that made me think though. So back in the days in, Cren- in the Crenshaw School and all that kind of stuff, were those air conditioned or were those just you know you guys just sweat like crazy? Yeah, they hadn't invented air conditioning then. That's what I thought. So you, you mean kind of like back to the old school days for you there too, then right? Oh yeah, but you got to remember Southern California back then. It was weather was gorgeous. So, you know, it really wasn't wasn't all that bad. But I mean, we just all the places I've ever been, and that included Santa Monica. Anything that was glass was sweaty by the time it was over with. You know, Crenshaw was you could see outside in the street. I mean, we would go outside and have to take a break every now and then just to get a breath of fresh air. So, but um, Santa Monica was the same way, and La Brea was the same. So, you know. You, those were hard workouts. They were not easy. But that's back when we didn't even walk around with a lot of <clears throat> fancy water bottles either. You get out there and just drip. You'd be a puddle <laughs> of sweat at your feet, and that was it. So, so you, you don't allow puddles of sweat in the garage? Oh, yeah. I want, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I put, I have, I have puzzle mats I put down. So, yeah, they can sweat on those. There you go. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's uh, go ahead. Uh, you know, it depends. It, you know, and the, and the more people you get, you know, the more heat you generate too. So. Yep. So it's nice in the that's winter good. and it bakes in the summer. That's right. Well, I don't know about winter. I've had a few days. <laughs> We've had a few days that. Uh, I said we'd sit there and go, you know, guys, uh, it's, it's time to leave. <laughs> it's cold, so. But uh, but overall, you know, it's not it's not bad. But you, I like I like the concept though. Going back to the original question of having a basic class, an intermediate class, and then an advanced class, um, it it, uh, it helps. But then again, you know, when you when you move up, you are really that, say, that basic guy moving into an intermediate class. You will find, you know, the 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 guys that have been in the intermediate are really the guys you want to train with, because you always want to train with somebody that's better than you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just makes you sharper. That's that's what it does. So, um, you know, that that does really help. 
Well, it's, I mean, literally, it's the only way to get better. You have to work with somebody who's better than you. Right. And, you know, you, and you need to work with somebody different sizes, people. And uh, it makes it makes a difference because I remember we used to freestyle and had guys with, gosh, there was some tall, lanky folks. And, you know, you, you had to learn how to, how to fight with people like that. So, you know, and they were doing the same with you. You know, they were learning how to, how to fight, you know, short people and fat people and tall people. You know, everybody had to learn that mix. And that's what made it, you know, made you better rounded. Um, because it does make a difference. So, you know, how do you, how, what do you do with guys with really long legs? Well, you try and get on the inside. So keep that foot from coming up. You don't want to get kicked with it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I got a buddy who's six five, and he I, telling me I'm not getting kicked by those tree trunks anymore. That's not happening. I'm gonna stay inside. You're gonna imagine yeah, you fighting me in a phone booth. <laughs> yeah, you know. Can you imagine getting up somebody like uh, six seven like Greg is? Yeah, I will definitely fight him inside a phone booth because he's gonna have to yeah. duck to get in there in the first place. So that's another advantage. <laughs> yeah, but now you got to find a phone booth. <laughs> Good point. So, you know, talking about freestyling, there's a, a lot of times you get students who are just really scared to freestyle. So what do you think, uh, what do you, what's your advice for those students when they start moving around and they, you can just tell that they're just scared to death of freestyle? I used to have, well, one of the guys I got, one of the kids, he was, uh, he would run out of the garage. I mean, you know, you move at him and, you know, he'd go, he'd run. I says, man, you're doing really good. I says, you avoided that. That is great. But, fine, but sooner, you know, you, you start just one at a time, one move at a time. You get them to just start working back and forth. And you get them to run drills back and forth. So they get used to having somebody in front of them and, uh, and somebody that will move. But you do that as a program set of drills, not just free drills where the, they can do anything they want which actually makes them get more comfortable, I think, in bringing them into that, into that freestyle arena. Because I don't, I don't myself, I don't uh, do anything with point sparring at all. I do. Uh, it's all, it's, it's all continuous. So, uh, but I, I think they need to be brought along into it, you know, slowly, surely, and you help them along the way and, and they get more comfortable with it. And now that kid that ran out of the garage doesn't run no more. He, uh, he stands right there and will bang it out. Nice. So what do you do, like, what do you do specifically for them to get over that fear? Is that something where you'll take it on and you'll, you'll spar with them yourself? Or is that, you know, do you have like a senior student where you say, okay, you're playing defense. I want him to learn how to move around and find a target type thing. Or what, what, yeah, I, I, I'll do that with them. I'll move. I'll get out there and I'll be the defense and let them move. And uh, just two things. I mean, it keeps the old guys sharp, you know, for blocking and lets the young guys, you know, feel empowered to uh, and get comfortable moving. So, uh, and then I'll uh, sometimes I'll. Uh, uh, I will pit them together. And I'll, you know, I'll get out there and, and the more advanced students say, okay, well, you're strictly, 
you're strictly defending yourself and you cannot throw anything back and let the other students say, okay, I say, you know, tell them, go ahead, see if you can score on the guy, you know, and start moving. And, you know, I said, start moving with in sets of three and then we'll bump it up to fours, five, sixes, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. just so we can get, just so we can get the, the flow going. Because, you know, as soon as what happens a lot of times, and it's happened over the years, is when you're freestyling, but, uh, I think a lot of guys, you know, you forget when you're in a, confi- a com, uh, confined area, you'll find that sometimes people will turn their backs on you. And that's when, that's when you know, if you're freestyling with them, that's when you know you need to back off because they've had it. Their brain just shut them down and said, hey, I can't, you know, i got to protect myself. And they'll turn away from you, and um, so you use you use that. And when you get, when you start doing that, and then they also see that, well, look, I can do this. You say, hmm. they start learning to say they get more confidence. And I know I know that I've, you know I've been told you know people say, hey, look, this is the greatest thing that that you can do is is. Uh, with the kids is teach them and teach them that confidence factor uh, that they, that they know, you know, along with the responsibility that goes with what they're learning. And, you know, I, I, you need to tell the kids that you have to be really careful with what you do. So, uh, and you train them and I'm, you know, I'll ask parents, what are they doing? You know, uh, how are they doing school? You know, all that kind of stuff. And I'll ask the kids, how was your day at school or your week? Have you had any problems? You know, and I expect, you know, you know, they, they give me honest answers. So, uh, but that's the way I run, run things. So what's the, uh, what's the drill that you just have to watch and enjoy people doing? Oh, I've always, I guess the, the drills techniques running the line whether it be escape techniques or punching techniques i love it and that's what i like to watch people do because then you you can see a sense of confidence building in them and uh, i think that's that probably makes me happier than anything i could hear that tone Anyhow. in your voice change okay so uh do you have any of those those uh, students lately that you just got to see that light bulb moment go on, where they're they're struggling with it, struggling with it? And you put them in the line, all of a sudden, boom, they got it. Uh, once in a while, I mean, it it, it, it happens, and uh, yeah, I I, I kind of like uh, you can see it, you know. And the other thing is, is I think it's important that instructors need to go out and and. Uh, they need to ask ask the, their students sometimes, like, do you feel you're ready, you know, for this or that, and and get an honest answer from them. Uh, that's that's what that's what I I've always thought. Because it's like you know it's like you know it's been said that you know the, the hardest guy to fight is a is a Kimpo brown belt because he's trying to get there. But you know when you're coming up, and Steve, you know too is. Even though, even when you're a brown belt, you will know when you're ready for what yourself. Well, you know when you think I you're really, ready, at least. Well, yeah, yeah. 
and you know usually you are so you know that's so anyway i mean that's that's but that's that's what i get the you know the biggest joy out of is actually watching them you know and saying okay and you know like you said that you got it you got it i can see that or when you know, especially when you're doing techniques or when they're doing techniques with me you know you can because I, I do my technique stuff a little bit different and uh, you know, I want them to actually do those leg checks and not just say, Oh yeah, my, my knee is there. I want you, I, I want to feel it. Mm-hmm. If I don't feel it, you didn't do it. And uh, then I know you're not close enough to me anywhere. So, um, you know, you, 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 you get there and, you know, it's like say, say running, take, take a technique like, uh, hitting a dragon. You can't see it if it's getting worked on you. But you can certainly feel it. Mm-hmm. And you'll just feel those little nudges, the grabs, and, uh, you know, the checks and the chop and all that. You'll, you'll actually feel it. Uh, and you'll know. And then you get the, and then you feel the rhythm. Once you start feeling that rhythm, perk up and perk up, you know that, that, that if, you, if you can't stand up and watch it, you know they're getting it. So... And then it's time to get the camera out on them and say, okay, let's look at this now. Nice. And, uh, and have some fun. So how often do you pull so, out the camera? Oh, every now and then I'll, I'll pull out the, pull out the phone and record them and say, Hey, look at this. Uh, you know, especially, uh, uh, just every now and then I'll do that. I said, Hey, you need to see this. And so we'll go ahead and do that. You know, and, uh, it works out pretty good. You get the student that said, cool. uh, I told you to do this. I am doing that. If I'm still telling yeah. you you need to do it, you're not doing it. But I am. Okay, let's video this. That's oh, right. I guess I wasn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. That's the, And it even goes for, for us, mm-hmm. you know. You think you're doing just, it's perfect, you're a wreck, you're doing the, you know, the, the technique is looking good, you're, you're checking the right way and all of a sudden you find you, when you slow it down, your hands turn the wrong way, you know, <laughs> your head's off looking somewhere else, you know, just little things like that. And it's, it's amazing. The camera tells all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it adds really, 10 pounds too, you know? Oh yeah. But I mean, <laughs> it, it, it gets, <laughs> yeah. Uh, something I don't, I can't afford. Uh, but you know, it, it's, <laughs> It, it gives you it gives you a, a sense though to where you can look at it and you know if you if you can self evaluate uh, you can sit there and say okay I see what I need to do whether it's going to improve your looks on the camera I don't know but at least you know you you get become aware of it and uh, you know you start correcting so you know so a lot of times like when you're uh, using yourself as a rebound board when you're doing techniques to help speed things up a little bit. Uh, instead of having a flat hand hit yourself, you know, you turn it over and do the inverted uh, sword hand as the check, not just flat. And that, that I find a lot, because even though you say it a lot and you say, well, I'm doing it this way, you look at it all of a sudden you go, whoops, I flat handed my, you know, and, because you, you're moving, but you, you need to practice it then and get that corrected. As I've, I've seen that on myself, too. You know, it, it just happens. So, 
But uh, <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah, but those are a great tool. Okay, so my guest this week on the Artists of Motion podcast has been Grandmaster Carl Shalio of the International Karate Connection Association. Uh, Mr. Shalio, I am privileged and blessed that I am and I'm thankful that you took the time out of your day to be with us today. Uh, our last part of our podcast, we usually throw right to, you know, if you'd like to send out a message, but in your particular case, because you were there for so much of that early Kempo history, I like stories. Is there any story you could share from us from those early days or maybe something from more recent memory that, that made you, you know, get a good giggle out of? Well, I guess, I guess it, uh, one of, what I found is uh, story-wise, I think you hear the same stories from the same old guys all the time. But I'll tell you what, if you hear them more than once, they're probably true. So just take that for what it is. And, uh, you know, it was a great time, I think, in my life. And the people that I've been associated with, it's like you have friends throughout your life, but it seems like the people that are in martial arts are incredible and that they are your friends for the most part for life. And through the IKCA, it's truly been a blessing in disguise for me because it has turned out to be actually a real brotherhood where everybody that's involved, male or female, has, is, is like we walk into something. Uh, when you meet them for the first time, it's like you've known them forever. And it's uh, just an absolutely incredible organization. So with that is... Uh, pretty much my story okay fair enough so we are now at as of this podcast 24 different countries around the world that are hearing our show which is just mind-boggling to me but uh it's it's been an absolutely fun ride getting here so with that said what message would you like to send out to our listening audience well i would say that To actually get out there, practice, have the basics correct, because you'll be able to stem off any direction you want to go. But if you have the right basics and train with the basics, and you train the way you're gonna, you will train the way you fight. So, good luck, God bless, and train. Well said. So, uh, getting a hold of Mr. Shalio, if you'd like to, it's cshalio at karateconnection.com is the easiest way to get a hold of him. That's uh, S-C-H-A-L-Y-O. Uh, did I miss anything there, sir? No, Steve, you didn't. And hey, thanks for the uh, for the interview. Appreciate it. I had a blast. I'm looking forward to uh, getting to actually see you in person here at some point. Oh, we'll do that. <laughs> this will be fun, so... Again, thank you for your time. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and uh, hoping anybody who's in class tonight gets a good workout. Okay, well, thank you, sir. All righty, have a good one. Okay. Bye. That was a fun little chat there with Grandmaster Shalio. It's the first time I got a chance to actually really sit down and uh, pick his brain on a bunch of different subjects, so that was pretty cool. Um, not exactly sure who's going to be on our show next week yet. We have uh, a couple of them sitting in the pipeline waiting to be... Uh, filtered and approved and whatnot so we'll see which one comes down the pipe and we'll talk about it next week 
you guys will like what you're uh, hearing, make sure you give us a review and give us some comments over there on iTunes or Google Play or over on Podbean itself. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast. I'm Steve Zalazowski.